It's a delight to open God's Word with you this morning. Christmas is a time of expectation, a time of anticipation. It's a time when people are excited for lots of reasons. Excited to get together with family. Excited to get a break from work. Excited to listen to those Christmas songs again. And to experience a little taste of peace on earth. A little taste of the world a little more as it should be. For some people, they anticipate Christmas with hope, with excitement, with anticipation in a positive way. They're looking forward to time with family, time with friends. For others, they look forward to Christmas with more dread and hopelessness. Perhaps they are remembering family that is now gone or friends that have passed away. Perhaps they're remembering sweeter Christmases. And they're anticipating Christmas being a reminder of the things that they've lost. I wonder how you are anticipating Christmas today. Christmas, the first Christmas, was also a time of anticipation. It was a time when all of the hopes of the nation of Israel were dawning. When all of the hopes that Israel had had for centuries for more than a millennia, was beginning to take shape. If you have your bulletins, turn to the middle of your bulletin, to Luke chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at a few verses there from the first Christmas. We've heard readings from both the Old Testament and the New Testament, readings from God's holy word that tell us about the incarnation, about the reason that we can celebrate Christmas. Israel had had prophecies from the very beginning, from the first time that God chose Abraham to be the one through whom his chosen people would come, to be the father of the nation of Israel. He had made promises that he would give to Abraham and to his descendants hope that he would give to them a a land, a place of safety where they could be with him, where they could have a family, and where they could have, ultimately, the kind of blessing that would come through a descendant that would be not just for Israel, but for all people. And at Christmas, the first Christmas, 2,000 years ago, in a place called Bethlehem, those hopes began to take shape. Those hopes dawned for the first time. As we've been listening to the the accounts of this first Christmas, consider what this was like, this birth of the baby Jesus. This birth was, on the one hand, an extraordinary birth. But on the other hand, it was a quite ordinary birth. Look at some of the things that we've seen in these chapters. We've seen things that tell us that this birth was not your, was not an everyday occurrence. It was extraordinary. It was extraordinary, first of all, because it was accompanied by miracles. 
the birth of Jesus was extraordinary because it was accompanied by remarkable miracles. It began with the miracle of the birth of John the Baptist through an elderly couple, Elizabeth and Zechariah. The remarkable thing about the birth that preceded Jesus' birth was that birth came from an elderly couple who hadn't been able to have children. And God visited them through an angel who came and told them that they were going to give birth in their old age. This story of Elizabeth and Zechariah giving birth in their old age was to remind Israelites of another similar birth, the birth of Isaac to Abraham and Sarah, a birth that was also miraculous to a couple in their old age that couldn't happen normally. It was extraordinary. It was supernatural. And this was to remind them that God was bringing His purposes to to pass to fruition finally. And it was a foreshadowing of what was going to happen. Because not only was there the miracle of a birth to an elderly couple, there was another birth that was going to follow six months later. The birth of Jesus to the Virgin Mary. This birth was even more extraordinary. It's one thing for an older couple to get pregnant. It may seem impossible, but is that as impossible as a woman who isn't married, a woman who is a virgin giving birth before she has gotten married, before she has been united with her husband? That is impossible, but yet that's what happened. Not only is the birth of Jesus extraordinary because of the miracles that accompanied it. It's extraordinary because of the angels that arrived to announce the coming. An angel came and visited Zechariah when he was in the temple. An angel came to Mary and announced to her what was going to happen. An angel came to Joseph to tell him to remain married to Mary because he had been convinced that she had been unfaithful to him. And an angel encouraged him to stay with her and to adopt the baby as his own son. And an angel also came on the night of his birth to shepherds who were keeping watch of their flocks and the, the neighboring hills. His birth was extraordinary because of the miracles that accompanied it, because of the angels that pronounced it, but also because of the prophecy that was being fulfilled. You see, God had been making prophecies, foretelling what was going to take place for centuries. And all of these prophecies were being fulfilled in this one birth the birth of the Messiah, the one who would come, the descendant of Abraham, the descendant of David, who would be the king who would rule on the throne of Israel forever. God had made promises beginning with Abraham that included promises to David that there would be a king who would be born one day who would reign on David's throne, not just for a season, but forever. And these prophecies were being fulfilled in the birth of Christ. And not only was it extraordinary for these reasons, but it was extraordinary because when this baby was born, he was worshipped. He was worshipped. The one thing that no one but God is allowed to take, this baby received. This baby received worship. Worship from angels, worship from shepherds, and worship from wise men who came from afar to see Him, to bow down to Him, and to give Him kingly gifts. So in many ways, this birth was extraordinary. But on the other hand, what's also remarkable about Jesus' birth is how ordinary it was. 
Look at all of the things that were not extraordinary. If you think of a king being born, the king who was to fulfill all of God's promises, you would think it would be accompanied with more pomp and circumstance. You would think that the circumstances would be greater. You would think that he'd be born in a palace or at least a great house. That he would be born to great people with luxury. But no, this was an ordinary birth. He was born in a small town. He was conceived in Nazareth, a small town in the north of Israel. He was born in Bethlehem, a small town in the south of Israel. He was born to quite ordinary people. To a a young girl who was engaged to be married to then be adopted by the man Joseph, who was an ordinary carpenter. Even though he was in the line of David and descended from David, he was not a king or on a throne, but he was an ordinary carpenter, working an ordinary job in a small town. His birth was accompanied with an ordinary scandal. People thought that Mary had been unfaithful and that that's why she was pregnant. What was surrounding the birth of Jesus was scandal. You'll find this later in the Gospels as many of the Jews seek to discredit Jesus by saying things like, we don't know who your father is. Your birth was a birth of scandal. He was also ordinary because of how humble the circumstances were of his birth. He wasn't even born in a hospital, not even a house. But it looks like he was born outside For he was laid in a manger, a feeding trough for animals. And he was born in an ordinary way at a very inopportune moment. Most births happen at inopportune moments. We don't know when they're going to happen. This birth for Mary and Joseph happened at the most inopportune of moments. They were away from home, away from family. They had to travel in order to be registered for the census. They were born in a town that wasn't their own. And yet, in all of these things, what makes Jesus' birth so wonderful in its ordinariness is showing that He came not just for great people, not just for special people, but for ordinary people. He came in order to be a Savior for all people, for all kinds of people, as you see there in Luke chapter 2. Look at how the angel describes His birth. In Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This extraordinary and ordinary birth of Jesus the Messiah is what theologians have called the Incarnation. What is the Incarnation? Well, the Incarnation is the most remarkable of miracles. That God became human. That God Himself in the person of Jesus Christ united Himself with our humanity, becoming in the birth of Jesus both God and man together. Um, I know that you've probably heard the advice when someone is going through difficulty to seek to, to walk a mile in their shoes, to seek to see things through 
someone else's eyes, to have compassion on them by attempting to, to see life through their perspective. For parents, you'll often hear the advice that you should enter into your child's world to seek to understand life as your child sees it so that you can sympathize with them. And this is an important thing for us to do. What the Bible says about the incarnation, though, is that God didn't just sympathize with us or seek to understand life from our perspective. That God literally became human. He literally entered into the world and became a part of humanity by actually becoming man. By actually experiencing humanity. And not just for a season. Jesus Christ took on our humanity to remain human forever. He united in Himself God and man forever. And why did He do this? Why the incarnation? Well, because the Bible tells us. Because of our sin. Because we have sinned greatly against God. The Bible is so clear that God created all things and He created it good and He created us, human beings, to know Him, to walk with Him, to live with Him in perfect harmony, to serve Him as our King and as our Lord. But the Bible says that rather than humbly obeying our loving God, we have rebelled against Him. We have sinned against Him. We have rejected His good and rightful authority over us and His rule over us and we have sought to live life our own way. If you look around at this world and see the mess that we've made of it, you realize some of the consequences of sin. But an even greater consequence of our sin is not simply the messes that we see around us, the mess that we've made of our own lives. The even greater mess that we've made is the mess of a relationship with God. We have now been separated from God, cast out of His presence, deserving of His just wrath. And God would have been right to condemn all of humanity to leave us in our condemnation. But the remarkable thing about Christmas is that on Christmas Day, hope dawned. Hope sparked. Because God entered the world. He entered humanity in the person of Jesus Christ in order to be one of us in order to live the life that we didn't live, in order to experience all of the difficulty and pain that we experienced, to sympathize with us. But not just to sympathize with us, but through taking on our humanity to actually lay down His life as a sacrifice in the place of sinners like you and like me. Jesus, the God-man, not only lived a perfect life, He then went and laid down His life a death on the cross, the death of a criminal in the place of sinners like you and me that would repent of our sins and trust in Him as the Savior that our, that we need and the Savior, the sacrifice that our sins deserve. The incarnation is for us the birth of hope. The incarnation is not just for Israel the birth of hope, but for all of humanity because He came to be a Savior, not just for Jews, but for all kinds of people, Jews and Gentiles. People from every tongue, tribe, and nation now have a Savior available to them if we would just repent of our sins and trust in this baby King who became the Savior, the sacrifice for sinners like us. 
as you consider the wonder of the Incarnation? How do we respond to such a remarkable reality, a remarkable truth, a remarkable message? Well, we should respond by taking heart and having hope. I'm not sure what you're experiencing today in life. Maybe you've come here this morning discouraged. Maybe you've come here this morning feeling like you have no hope. Perhaps you've put your hopes on a person or on your circumstances, hoping that there are things in this life that will satisfy you. The first thing that we should do in response to the message of the Incarnation is to have hope. Realizing that there is ultimate hope. And not a hope simply for this life, but a hope of eternal life with God forever. The second response to a message like this of the Incarnation is to worship like the angels, like the shepherds, like the Magi worshipped, to come and to worship this Savior. He is worthy of our worship and He is worthy of our complete allegiance. We should also not only worship Him, realizing that He is our God become man, the, the Savior for sinners like us. We should put our faith in Him, realizing that it is only through His death that we can have life. And then we should follow Him. We should follow Him. As the disciples followed Him, we should follow Him too. We should follow Him in discipleship through committing ourselves to Him and to His people in in a local church. We should follow Him through the discipleship of committing ourselves to God and to His people through our time here on earth. And lastly, we should follow the example of the shepherds. Not only have hope, not only worship Him, Not only put our faith in Him and follow Him, but lastly, fifthly, we should tell others about Him. See how the shepherds, once they met Jesus, they couldn't help but tell others about Him. They couldn't help but declare the wonderful things that they had heard and seen. We too should be like these shepherds and tell anyone who would hear about this Savior King. So as you look at Christmas this morning, as you look beyond Christmas to the future, what is your prospect? What are you anticipating? What is your expectation? Are you full of hope? Or are you full of despair? If your outlook is hopeful, I wonder what your hope is in this morning. Do you have hope because of a new job? Because of a full bank account? Because of a wonderful relationship or set of relationships in your family? or friend group? If your hope is in anything else, even if your hope is in Christmas, it will ultimately be disappointed. But if your hope is in this Savior King Jesus, your hopes will never be disappointed. Your hopes will only dawn to full light until we are finally with Him and get to worship Him and be with Him forever in heaven. Are you discouraged this morning? Are you discouraged with the prospect of your Christmas? Or even beyond that, are you discouraged with the prospect of the life ahead because of your circumstances, because of relationships or the lack of it? Let me encourage you. Take heart. There is hope. Christ is born. Jesus has been born. He came. And you can have hope because there is a salvation for you if you will turn to Him. A salvation that will ultimately be last forever.
let me encourage you, brothers and sisters, to have hope this Christmas. Not in the, the few days that you'll share with family and friends, but in the person of Jesus Christ. And so realize that through this hope, you will have hope that will last forever. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You that there's a season like this where so many in our land celebrate Jesus' birth. We pray that as we prepare to spend some time this year slowing down, taking some time off of work, spending time with friends and family, that You would help us to turn our eyes towards that of ultimate value and of ultimate hope, the person of Jesus. Pray that we would not hope in anything else but Him alone. Knowing that those who hope in You will not be disappointed. We pray that we would respond with hope, with worship, with faith, with following, and with telling any who will listen about the true message of Christmas, the message of the Incarnation, the message of ultimate hope. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.